G'day legends, welcome back to another episode of the Mock Sports Presents Off The Track, or as we could probably call it today, Nick, Off The Field, as we have our first ever sporting guest in the studio today for a fantastic chat. We're pumped up about this one, aren't we, Nick? 100%. Today we had Matt Dunning in the studio, had a great yarn with him about his career, about how rugby union is going in Australia and how how they can bring it back to how it was back in the early 2000s to the late 90s and how how much he loves the game and all these stories he has. So it's a great interview. Give it a listen. Um, yeah. Before we get into this one, guys, I just want to give a big shout-out to our sponsors over at Stridal. That's right, stridal.com, where entertainment meets opportunity. They've got a fantastic entertainment library right now, chock a block of horse racing content. You can go over there right now and get all the behind-the-scenes access to Cool and Gatter's prep over in England, as well as even some podcast shows, including our very own, and even a brand new one by the Derby Racing Syndicate, going through their history, as well as their current stars, such as Osmosis, Overpass, and the likes of that. They've got an episode up with Bjorn Baker, where they go through his career and their relationship. It's fantastic. So if any of that interests you, head to strata.com right now to check out all of the great content. So Maddie, thank you for coming on. Um, Can you just tell us where it all started, how you got into your rugby um, where you grew up and stuff like that Like where did it all start from Yeah interesting uh, Thanks for having me on first guys uh, Very cool Good setup. Um, yeah, so I was born in Canada um, No relatives of Canadian descent at all Mum and dad went over for the Montreal Olympics in 1976 uh, For six months And ended up staying for eight years And uh, I was born over there And came back to Australia when I was five and dad, dad loved rugby. He played at Eastwood. Uh, he's uh, sort of from the age of nineteen onwards, and um, and um, yeah, we came back to Australia. And um, dad played a lot of rugby in Canada. Uh, wasn't allowed to play rugby till I was uh, till I was twelve or thirteen, first year of high school. I thought it was because I worried about me getting hurt, but I just think they wanted to travel very far when soccer was local in Barrera. Uh, we grew up in Barrera. North of Sydney, and then played rugby at uh, Beecroft Juniors, Beecroft Penta Hills in those days, and Eastwood Juniors, and that's how it all started, I guess, from a, a very grassroots level. Oh, well, well you mentioned uh, Canada. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe your brother, Casey, played for Canada. Yeah, he played five tests for Canada. I often joke at family dues. That's like playing third grade at Eastwood. <laughs> um, no, he's, uh, he played five tests, and my younger brother, Josh, he played the Canadian 21s tournament in uh, all for Canadian 21s for Canada, uh, yeah, too, in, in Argentina. Oh, that's good. So you got a couple of Canadian internationals and a Wallaby. Back in the day, though, is it a lot of backyard rugby games when you were kids that really get the yeah, spark going? Yeah, look, um, Casey's only 18 months younger than me, so we, we grew up together. Josh is six years. Uh, so Josh just got belted. <laughs> He's got belted and belted. He's actually got no cartilage in his nose because he just used to push it so hard. He's just got a, like a rubbery little nose now. <laughs> um, so Josh just got tormented, the poor guy. Um, but Casey, yeah, he's always a little bit smaller than me. But yeah, we played a lot of footy together. Casey did very well. He played, um, he played uh, New South Schoolboys and um, first grade of Eastwood and North. So he, um, he but he, went, he tra- got the travel bug and he actually played. I think he played one game. He played professionally over in. Played one game for the or a couple of games for uh, London Irish, which is the premiership team over there. So um, yeah, we rugby was was all our family did. Rugby, um, 
I, I was also, I was cricket, rugby, um, basketball, and soccer, but um, very much a rugby household. Um, all front rowers at one stage. Josh got too tall; he's six four. But um, uh, yeah, live scrums in the kitchen. Uh, <laughs> very young, and uh, yeah, it was a, uh, we're all uh, front rowers. Very nice. Before I <coughs> get into the start of your career, I just wanted to bring up, like you said, you played played a bit of cricket. Are you any good at cricket? I don't think I, I guess I played all the green shield and I played a lot of that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, I loved it. Very enthusiastic cricketer, uh, hence I was a wicket keeper. Um, yeah, so I played for North, North, uh, I played uh, all the Hornsby Karinga sort of rep stuff. Rep, rep stuff, yep. and then I played it. I, I, I didn't make ND's green shield when I was at two or three years young. Mm-hmm. So I went to North Sydney and made it there. So just stayed with them. Um, played Greenshield with North, North Sydney and played a uh, grade and also um, like a part of playing Greenshield was going to Percy's so I just fell in love with North Sydney Cricket Club because Percy's the bar used to be the bar across the road from North Sydney Oval yeah <laughs> so that was very fun so uh, yeah but I, I guess when you're 110 kilos and you're 16 your future of being a wig keeper is pretty limited <laughs> <laughs> so um, as much as I love cricket was enthusiastic about it I uh, I wasn't a good enough bat to Make well, I possibly could have made some rep sides batting five or six, maybe, but a keeper batsman was a lot easier. And once keeping went away, I was sort of I was actually a better keeper at 13 and 14 than I probably was at 16 because I was 20 kilos lighter. <laughs> but um, it was always rugby, always rugby was the motivation. Yeah, going even, even I didn't play rugby until I was 12 or 13 because of um, I was a goalkeeper for, for Barara and uh, Hornsby Karin guy, but rugby was always it, it was just yeah. waiting to play. Um, I always played tackle footy with big kids down. Arena Street. Um, Good over that. Belted, yeah, got belted, yeah. tried to belt Kiwi kids. Um, <laughs> just grew up and loved it. Uh, lo- always loved rugby. Loved the, the contact. Uh, loved the ethos, ethos, the camaraderie. Um, uh, and in those days, I, I would have loved to play rugby league too, but people sort of forget that rugby only went professional in the mid-90s, 96. So um, my dad wouldn't really let me play Brow Rugby League. It was sort of... Because in those days, once you went to rugby league... And it, it shouldn't have, as, as a kid, it, it would have been okay, but just the way my dad thought about it was that you, you're playing rugby and I wanted to do it, mind you, so I never sort of got to play rugby league till I was retired at the back, like retired from yeah. rugby, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. As um, as we progressed through, you obviously played um, the Australian schoolboys and the Australian under-21s. What was it like playing back then? Because obviously you see now in those teams it'd be so professional, like all these different things like that. Diets are trained, like everything's all looked at. What was it like back then when it's probably a bit more loose than how it is now? Yeah, it was a lot looser back then. So um, I played Australian schoolboys in 96 and then after that, 97, played Australian 19s and 98 and 99, played in the Australian 21s when it was 21s then. Um, that was sort of my progression. Um, look, in the, in the, on our um, tour in 96 to New Zealand, we were all billeted. For most of it, so we were Australian schoolboy side getting billeted, um, which was fun. Um, <laughs> so that was very different than you'd, you'd probably see today. Um, it was still really, you know, I remember my, my schoolboy rugby and um, and my junior rugby is really an amateur ethos, sort of more like it was probably in the you know the ninety one eighties era. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how I grew up in rugby, which is you know realistically. My ambition as a as a 15, 14 year old kid was to 
was to get some money out of rugby so I could do it to the highest level. Like it was to play for the Wallabies. It was to play for Eastwood first grade. Sorry, it was to play for New South Wales and then play for the Wallabies. But never was it to do it for a full time job. You know, if I get a few bob out of it to cover expenses, how good would that be? You know, and yeah. um, I think with that mentality, it breeds a different sort of uh, person and a different rugby guy. Obviously now. Kids just want to be professional rugby players. They, they often don't even want to be union or it, it doesn't matter if it's union or league. Whatever, yeah. whoever will give me a full time job, I'll take it. So it's very different then. So uh, I was really, I was really fortunate that I grew up with the the amateur ethos, and then was able to get paid like the professionals. And also very lucky that I missed uh, sort of so, a lot of social media and Facebook. So we, oh we, yeah, we, we missed that too. Yeah, that can't get cancelled back then. <laughs> no, no phones. You, you couldn't get cancelled back then. And, um, <laughs> You know, he said that, like, you know, like, you know, 21's trip and stuff, you know, we just ate whatever, we drank whatever. You, you generally wouldn't drink the night before a game, but other than that, it wasn't too strict in sort of that junior stuff. Um, test rugby was a little bit different, although, albeit I generally had a drink midweek. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, well, well, then you mentioned that, like, goal one, Eastwood, goal two, Waratahs. What was it like rising through those grades and then finally getting to make that debut at seniors and then Waratah's level? Yeah, it was like I, I grew up with Eastwood, so I played Eastwood Juniors from 13 to, to 17s. And then play, I played Colts when I was still at school, so I was playing second and first grade Colts when I was still at school, um, which was awesome for me. Obviously, being a front rower, playing against 20-year-old, the best, you know, some of the best 20-year-olds week in, week out when you're at schools under 18 was, was awesome for my development. That was great. I got picked out of, out of a, a bit of obscurity. North Home Grammar, I went to school at 400 co-ed, no sad day sport. Um, so, you know, obviously rugby in those days, probably the same now as most of the teams picked out of the GPS, CS, or the equivalent in, 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 um, in Brisbane. Um, uh, and obviously then there was no other state, really, uh, other than the, those two states, uh, ACT, probably uh, St Eddie's. But... Um, so yeah, so I got picked out of there. The fact I was front row playing senior rules, and I had a you know I was very lucky in that. And then from then, I obviously went to Eastwood straight out of the Australian Schoolboys. Uh, we won the Colts Grand Final in '97, which was amazing. That was a, an experience I always remember. Sydney Uni had just started giving full scholarships to everyone. Um, I know that because they offered me one. I can't believe I didn't take it. But uni, <laughs> was, uni wasn't on my high agenda, so it didn't really matter. But you know, they paid for all the guys' unis. They started that in sort of 96, all their college fees for a lot of the players, and I turned that down. And so they they won every game during the year, finished minor premiers, and got the bonus points had just come in, so they got 99 points out of a possible 100. So 20 games, <laughs> one game they didn't get a bonus point. So they were – and we finished fourth. We had a very good side looking back at it, but we were a bit social and – yeah, they, they, they were they were they were they were virtually professional, if not semi-professional. Very well drilled, and we were amateur, and then we uh, we ended up beating them in the grand final at Concord. So that was pretty awesome, and then brilliant. All of us went to grade the next year in '98, so I was still first year twenty ones, uh, so which was young, young youngish for grade. Made my debut against Randwick at Coogee Oval. Uh, can't remember the day, but it was May. So I was 19, I just turned 19, and uh, yeah, it was awesome. I got to play against, you know, the likes of Warwick War. He was incredible, obviously. Uh, yeah, re- always grew up, my man hating Randwick because they were the great side of the 80s and the 90s, 70s even. And got to play make my debut there, and I made a joke to Jeff Reed, our first grade number eight, and make a, made a joke at Warwick War's expense in the bar saying, look at him, that big bloke, because Warwick War was a mountain, 
125, mm. fit, and six foot seven. I said, look, he's only drinking middies. What a soft prick. <laughs> and Jeff goes, that's a scooter. His hand was, <laughs> his hand was that big. And I went, oh, wow. Because he was drinking them so fast, it looked like he was drinking middies. I went, oh, my goodness. That's impressive. So that was my first first grade game. And then um, uh, made a debut with the Waratahs and the Rico Cup, which was sort of the end of year comp they used to have back there in 2000. And um, uh, I remember a good mate of mine, Chewy, um, I was sort of playing in that to, to get a contract for 2001 in Super Rugby. And he goes, uh, you know, you just got to do something that stands out, you know. You, like, score a try, you know, make a big tackle, get sent off. And I scored a try in that Argentinian game and got sent off. So he said, you'll get a contract for sure now. So, <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it was it was unreal. Um, and then Wallaby's debut came a bit later in 2003 in the World Cup against Namibia. Yeah, that's right, Namibia. We won 142 nil. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. <laughs> how how did you not get over the line in 142 <laughs> to nil win? Didn't score a try. <laughs> uh, I think my stats. I started doing stats, and I think I made about 70 clearouts, but made zero tackles, zero <laughs> touched the ball. We just literally you just run to a ruck, clear out, and go. Whatever it was, it wouldn't be 70, but whatever it was. Um, yeah, Morgan Turanui have played about 10 minutes and scored three tries. But <laughs> that was sort of my test debut, you know, so really. And then my second game was a World Cup final in 2003 off the bench. So that was a big jump up. So um, that's sort of how I made my debuts. And, you know, really lucky. I Like, it was a dream always to play for the Wallabies um, and got to do it um, with, like, household names. You know, Matt Burks, George Gregans, uh, Larkham's. Elton Flatley's who I played junior footy with, but all those sort of guys, uh, Joe Roth, Wendell Saylor, Lottie, Lottie Dakiri, Matt Rogers, you know, that was my first squad, Chris Latham, um, then, yeah, guys like George Smith, obviously Phil War. I grew up with them, so it wasn't the same thing. I'd always grown up with those guys as much, but, you know, the, the Giffins and all those guys, it was it was pretty pretty surreal experience to be in that sort of company. Oh, I'm sure it was. Like, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm pretty out of touch with rugby. I haven't watched it in a long time. But I did used to watch it back in the day, and I remember those names like Takiri, Sailor, Rogers, yourself. And I remember I'd sit down on the couch, I'd watch the Rollerbees, I'd watch the Shoot Sealed, and just like all of these big names in like the big golden generation of the Wallabies. So what was it like to you know be thrown in the deep end straight into a World Cup squad that was so stacked, had such a big expectation on them because it was in Australia, wasn't it, the World Cup? Yeah. And so like all this expectation... What was it like just to be immediately thrown into a locker room that had legends of the game in just every second locker? It's yeah, a good comment. Like, people forget, like, and what you're saying isn't, isn't um, uncommon, what we're hearing these days. is like, I've got a lot of mates who played a lot of rugby and don't watch it a lot anymore, which is a shame. But I guess people forget I came to that golden era in many respects that, you know, the Wallabies won the 91 World Cup. The game goes professional in 95. They win the 99 World Cup. The Lions come in 201. And then a home World Cup in 2003. So rugby just got catapulted, catapulted. And it's a world game. Like, rugby at the moment is huge everywhere else in the world than, than Australia. Like, it's, it's, it's not struggling yeah. anywhere else. It's huge. So it came out Like, we, like, literally, and I'm, you can check the numbers. If we played, it, for the Waratahs, if we played the footy stadium, we played the Brumbies, the Reds, or the Crusaders, or the Blues be a 37,000 minimum crowd. That's yeah. just the reality. That was just fact. It was packed. You know, we wouldn't get a crowd under... If we didn't get 25,000, they'd lose money. 
Yeah. Um, it was it was so different rugby then. Like, you had blokes like Wendell and Lottie and Matt Rogers coming across, not for massive pay rises, but they wanted the global exposure and they wanted yeah. to be part of World Cup. They mm. came for the, the opportunity and, and, you know, the, the next frontier, I guess, where it was just, yeah, it was, it was rugby was big, you know. Uh, Joey Johns was a bee's dick away from signing yeah. rugby. Yeah. A last-ditch offer coming in, securing his future, from what I understand. I know Joey Wells. So I, 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 he hasn't told me this, so I, I'll make sure I'm careful what I say. But my understanding was a last-ditch sort of by Channel 9 um, that threw in the money where he just was too good to refuse for his yeah. long-term future. So that's how that, that's how big rugby was then. So That would have been huge. It was huge. So going into that, that World Cup at home after a huge line series, uh, which they won... Um, but it was, it was rugby was incredible. We, we were kept away in Coffs Harbour. That's where our base was then. I think they've used it a bit since then. So we sort of missed a lot of the, all the, I guess the, I guess the, it was like the Olympics. The buzz was like the Olympics of two thousand in two thousand three. It was huge. Like, you know, crowds were filled up. Like, this is a good story. So Japan played the US in Gosford. Yep. On a weekday night, it was sold out. It was pumping. People were just going to watch that game. And this bloke, this entrepreneur bloke, decided to make these shirts. And I'll get this right. The shirt said uh, Pearl Harbor 42. Oh. <laughs> and then it had near, uh, Hiroshima uh, 1945. Gosford, the decider. <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious. I one one. It was just fun. You wouldn't do it these days. Yeah, but that was what they say, did. These days. These days you cancel for that. But, like... It was huge. Like, it was just Pete, was, it was just buzz. Like, Darling Harbour, the establishment was like it was during the Olympics almost. Like, it was huge. And, and we didn't really see that to the end of the World Cup because we obviously <coughs> were kept away. We played the final in um, against uh, England, which was a huge game. England were probably favourites since they had a side that was touted to win. We had the home ground advantage. You know, probably one of the greatest World Cup finals to date. Um, double extra time, whatever it was. They get a drop goal and win in a really close match. Could have gone either way. And, um, you know, obviously Johnny Wilkinson gets knighted to the drop goal over that. And it was huge. And after the tournament, we had our we had our big drink at Bill Young's pub there at the Concord West um, during the day and then headed off into night. And for the next week, we went out and drank. And it was still a buzz. That, that, like, it, like it, we, were, we, were, we were just we were, we were huge names through, you know, out. And it, was just, it was like it's the biggest sort of... You know, star star thing that I've ever experienced after that World Cup. Couldn't walk down the street without yeah, getting every, recognised. Everyone knew. Well, everyone knew who was. Well, that sort of happened after I got in a bit of trouble and a few incidences that <laughs> that happened. But no, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, and look, and I guess well, we can touch on it later. But I guess the the great positives on that is is moving forward. Is we're in a sort of similar situation now. We've got a World Cup in France in two thousand and twenty three. The Lions coming in 2025, and we've got a whole home World Cup in 27. So, you know, global rugby strong. If they can really do a few really key things, there's no, look, I don't th- I think the world's changed. I think sport's very different now. You've got so many options with streaming and stuff. To get 40,000 crowd is not, not as easy as it used to be. You know, there's so many more things. But I think rugby can definitely catapult itself in to be you know, up there with rugby league in, in, a, in a different... And, and it's not competing against it. It's just, it's just up there equal as, as a different sport. I, th- I think both sports can coexist and do a good job. Yeah, fair enough. I, I'll bring it, I was going to bring it up a bit later, but since we're on the topic, what do you think about 
all this talk about Joseph Suwali coming through into the game. What are, you, what are your thoughts on the, the contracts he's getting offered and how, how it will be for the game? Yeah, I think it's great. Like, like <coughs> I, I get the negative impact. Like, people will say it's a lot of money to spend and, and all this and the, spending that money and, you know, and what about the people who have been loyal and all that stuff. But you've got to remember, Joe, Joe, Joey Suwali or Joe, you know, Joseph Suwali grew up playing rugby and league. He played both. He played Eastwood Juniors his whole way through. He was at Kings. He played first there from year 9 to year 11. Didn't play in year 12 because he had a league contract. I don't quite mean that's what I understand. Um, yeah, and look, they've got him back. And, and you can just see how dirty and how filthy rugby league are, the fact that he signed, that you know it's a good signing. Yeah. Mm. You know, you don't just, like, 1.6 million. What is that 1.6? It's not just getting Joey Suwali. It's getting us on the back page again. It's getting us a quality athlete who's made a decision to play rugby rugby union over rugby league. Um, and people got to remember that rugby league and rugby union, although they were similar, they are very different too. There's a lot of difference. Like, and I always say this: like Tedesco is nowhere near as good at rugby union as he rugby league. Just yeah. fact. Yeah, uh, it's been proven with Roger Tuivasa-Shek. That sort of player, you know. Um, the fullback at, at, at Newcastle, Miller, played Australian sevens, couldn't make it in rugby. He's doing very well at fullback in the Newcastle Knights. Smaller, quicker, more agile. But when you know, you look at the, the rugby union guys we, we have got who are you know the Lotties, the Wendells, the big guys, Falau. As much as anyone could say anything about Israel Falau, he was an incredible signing from rugby, whatever rugby league AFL to <laughs> yeah to rugby did everything incredible. Like he was the world's best player and, yeah. and probably still would be. <clears throat> if he was still there. He was incredible, unbelievable. And you look at the physique and the size of those players who do well, you know, and, and that's that's Joseph Swiley. You know, guys like Travojevic would be a great signing. Um, Mitchell would be a great signing because they're explosive and they're big. But then you go look at, like, Dylan Edwards for Penrith. Yeah. Not so much. Yeah. He's a great player. Dylan yeah. Edwards might be a better fullback than Joseph Swiley in rugby league. I get it. And not but rugby. No way. I take a Joe's, I'm taking Joe's, Joseph Swiley every day of the week. Yeah. And people forget that. They forget that there are differences um, which come to size, height, um, the way they play um, that are so different, you know. And, you know, you know, people go to me like, oh, Crichton, Cam Murray. Well, I'm saying Cam Murray every day of the week to Rugby Union. Yeah. He'd be a great 12. I reckon. Crichton, oh, right, he might be good. Yeah. He might be a good six or eight. He might be a good 12. But I know Cam Murray would be would be unbelievable. I, reckon I just know that. Cam right. Murray and Payne Haas, if you get those two, I reckon that'd be so good for the game. Yeah, Payne Haas. Yeah, my only concern with Payne Haas is where he plays. He plays six and eight. Can he jump in line outs? Can he be that option? Probably. He's yeah. only young. So, yeah, but I, I agree. But I, if I'm looking at guys that I want to get across, and I don't know we've got this topic, but the guys that get across, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, like Brandon Smith's bagging it out. Of course he is. Yeah. He, he's not, where's he going to play in rugby? Yeah. yeah. Where does Brandon Smith play in rugby? Tell yeah. me, tell me a spot that he plays for the Lollabies in. Couldn't. Yeah, uh, but th- th- but conversely, where am I going to play in rugby league when I was playing at hundred? Like, yeah. there's nowhere for me to play. Hundred percent. You know, Payne Haas is a is a forward is a prop in league. He comes across and plays back row. Yeah. Sam Burgess. People forget Sam Burgess was a twelve. Sonny Bill was a was a twelve in Union. They're both big key forward guys. Mm. You know, it's very different. It's got to be select guys, and I think Joe Valley is a great signing. And the back of that $1.6 million, I know everyone's come back to the number, I don't think it's important. He's already made that money in the, the profile, getting across. Yeah. Um, I think it's a great decision. And we just got to see past, you know, there's two sides of the coin here. There is participation 
and which is which is the lifeblood of the game, and it's the junior and the grassroots. That is a lifeblood. We have to invest in that to make our game a future, but it's not the only lifeblood. You know, it's not the only lifeblood. We got we got to tackle it two sides. Participation grassroots has to start there, but we also got to start also get this. You can't sell a secret. Yeah. Got to get rugby back in the headlines, back in there. Like the two biggest things at the moment in sport or whatever you want to call them are F1 and UFC. Yeah. They haven't got great participation rate. Like oh, no one, yeah. we're not going out and go karting. <laughs> yeah. Like our kids, like there's probably some kids go karting now because of it, but that, that that's not about participation. That F1 was was dying. They rebranded. They got all this. They, they got it out there. They made the drivers personable. We, we got to know them. UFC did the same thing with their athletes. Yeah, we got to know them. We care about. You know, we got to know this backstory. Yeah, there's a bit of a WWE element in both of. You know, I have no doubt the drama they put into Drive Survive is a bit over the top. Hundred oh, percent, probably. And similar with UFC, like you know, what's his name, the Cody of what his last name, the yeah. He's been a WD character. I get it. But that sells. Yeah, 100%. And that whole thing sells. I'm not saying we go out there and we be outlandish, but we need to think of what we're doing in that aspect to attract the masses and get people interested in rugby again. Or both, or both. So do you think if Sawali works and they start to see that trend get back, he draws in bigger crowds, draws in the headlines, that they're just going to keep chasing those big names, not even from just NRL, any sort of athletes around the world that are – of the rugby build and can make the jump, they're just going to keep chasing them because that's what they, you know, need to do to keep bringing the names back? No, I, don't th- I think that's going to be selective. Like, I, I, I think it is silly to go after league players who aren't going to make it, you know. It's, yeah. it's being selective and it's picking the right ones. Um, you know, for me, the ones that I was looking... If I was in the RU, I would have gone hard at Sawali like they did, which everyone would have, so that's not a thing. I'd be going hard at Cam Murray... Um, and, and other outside backs who are big, yeah. But Cam Murray and and I, I and Nico Hines is a bit old. I reckon he'd be a great ten too. But he's probably a bit old, and I get that people, and also the, the quality of the, the type of person too. Like Nico Hines and Cam Murray would really suit a, congi- a conducive team. They'd bring a lot to the culture, yeah. Um, which I think is important in rugby. Yeah, I, I honestly think it's great because I don't know. I grew up in a rugby union, rugby league kind of household where. We'd always be watching it, kind of thing. We weren't weren't too big on it, but we enough where I knew what was going on. You see this, and it's back on the front page, and it's just publicity. Like you watch how many people Joseph Swalik goes out and plays his first game for the Wallabies. How many people are going to be watching just because it's he's playing his first game? Then we'll see how he goes. Hundred percent. You know, it's awesome. Phil Wallback as CEO, which is a Wallaby and a Aussie. He replaces this African guy, which mate. I'm not talking about who's the better CEO. I'm just talking in the background that that's awesome for us. Yep. It'll get it back on the back page. He knows the he knows the grassroots game. He will he will put a lot of effort into that. The club rugby, the juniors, and the schools. He'll put a massive effort into that. But he'll also put the effort into getting the Wallabies known and 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 he'll bring a bit of a you know attitude. It's not about being liked for Phil and Eddie. Eddie especially. Yeah. It's <laughs> about get. It's about winning. They yeah. are both winners. And Eddie is head coach. That's already proven to be mm. instrumental in getting rugby back and um, the people are talking about it. Now, if we don't deliver and we're not successful, it won't matter. You've got to be successful too. Yeah. The Wallabies have to be successful. You know, we, we, they can do everything right. They can get participation greater, better. They can, they, can, they, can, they can sell the game better. They can get everyone ready to go. But if they're not winning... Um, What's the know, point? It, it don't matter. Yeah. But... Look, I, I, the great thing about Australian rugby moment, 
we have the athletes, we have the cattle. Um, are we as smart as we were one day? Uh, that's an argument. I think we probably lack a bit of the, the what do they call it, the, the rugby uh, IQ. Um, it's not the player's fault. It's just the nature of um, the game and playing multiple sports. But I think we can work on that. Um, but I, look, you know, the Wallaby side that I were in were off. Were often the games we won against the All Blacks. There wasn't a lot to be fair, but there was some. The guys before me is, as rugby players, they probably weren't as good. Definitely not as good. But we were smarter than them, so that's why we beat them. Um, so I think um, Eddie will bring a lot of that smarts back. You know, Phil and Eddie, who are both smart, uncompromising competitors, and that's what I think the, the squad needs. I personally, I don't see where the rugby league are coming across as being so angry that he's getting Suwali's getting offered this. When you look back at. Um, 2012 when GWS got brought into the AFL and Pete Volandi straight away has gone, all right, well, I'm going to bump as much as I can to make NRL as big as possible and kick out AFL from Sydney. It's the exact same thing, but it's across... Now it's happening to rugby league and everyone's getting so outraged. The only reason he cares about it... It's all money. Because it works. It's obviously he's scared and he's worried about it. And and both games can coexist. Like, I watch a lot of league. I watch a lot of league... And I love it. You know, mm-hmm. a South Sydney fan since I was five. Um, I love watching rugby league. I love watching rugby union. Uh, there's some things about rugby union that we could learn from rugby league and vice versa. Yeah. But, mate, I think both games can coexist. And, you know, you've got to remember, though, in after Super League, and Super League drove a lot of people, you guys wouldn't remember, Super League drove a lot of uh, people out of rugby league mm-hmm. uh, and helped rugby union springboard. They lost a lot of fans that came to rugby union because of... Super League, and then, you know, Super League was quite many numbers, but it's 96, 97, 98, so just after we got professional. So rugby catapulted as well as what they did, but also on the back of that too. Um, so, you know, it wasn't long ago after Super League when NRL was, you know, a th- couple of thousand... On and, its knees. Uh, on its knees, really struggling to get back in. People had, had lost a lot of um, passion for rugby league. Um, I still watched it, I loved it. But, um, yeah, so... They'd be very aware of that. They don't want to lose their market share. It's a business. Yeah. It's a business, uh, and they're doing whatever they can to keep the... You know, the rugby league mentality is, you know, us against them, and that works for them. Well, that's good. Let, um, we'll move aside from this. I'm going to go backtrack a little bit. 2003 in the Waratahs, the famous drop goal of yours. Yeah. Let's talk us through it. What, what's going on there? Well, I just can't believe... Like, so, <laughs> so Johnny Wilkinson... Um, can I swear? You can swear. Yeah, go and ahead. So Johnny Wilkinson gets fucking knighted in 2002 <laughs> for his drop goal. I kick a goal that was definitely for 20 metres further, a much harder kick, and I get ridiculed. Um, yeah, look, that's 20 years ago now. It's, literally, it's over 20. It was May. Yeah, we, were, we were one years old when it happened. One so year old. That, I've that, gone, we've gone back and done the research and seen watched it. Watched many, many replays. But please um, explain to those who wouldn't realise why, like, a that was a bad thing to get yeah. points on the board and to get further in front. So we, we I think we were winning like uh, 17 something. You'll know. Yeah. We were up by five or something. You know, it was 60 minutes in, 68 minutes into the game. Uh, we needed four tries to the bonus point to make the semis. So if we got four tries, we were in the fourth spot ahead of the Brumbies. That was pretty much down to that. We'd scored four tries. There was 12 minutes. If you see the footage, you know, they infringed the ruck. 
You know, the ball gets thrown by Wits. His arm gets slapped. The ball, instead of going to someone lateral, went to me who was bludging straight behind him. 68 minutes is <laughs> a long time for a front row to be in the paddock. Like, I, like people forget that. Like, yeah. we need to have one prop reserve. So you, one prop would generally always play 80 minutes or at least a large portion if they didn't come back on. So um, 68 minutes, the ball gets tapped out. I catch it off my ankles. They're playing advantage. Everyone knows the advantage. There's nothing on. Nothing on. So... In that stage of rugby, when they played advantage, everyone would just snap a drop goal, uh, and miss. you miss, and you get the penalty. Get the penalty. Ah, so yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, uh, I did the same thing, <laughs> except I hit this thing as Pure, sweet as a <laughs> it, just, it just, it just goes, it, it, it goes straight as a die. <laughs> and I, it's, I can still see it in slow motion. I'm chasing this ball, trying to drag it back, thinking I could, it was just nothing. I could, it, literally, it went. And so slow in time, it was like something out of the movies where they slow it down. I'm chasing, ah, I could see it happening, and and I knew very early that it wasn't going to miss, and there was nothing I could do about it. So, look, was it was it overplayed a bit, probably, uh, but why not? Because it's funny. For one, props don't kick drop goals. <laughs> Two, it you know it, it's theatre. It'll get bigger and bigger. We still didn't get the four tries. We still got the kickoff back, but I guess. We got the ball back on our 40 where if I hadn't have kicked it, we would have gone for touch and been in there 22 on the attack. Everyone forgets the other the, the missed tries, but we could have scored that night. Um, no, you're the replay that gets talked um, about. So, <laughs> so the next morning, I'm in the hotel room. and I go, I, I check, we, we had a big, after a season, you used to have a big drink back then. So a big drink after, we drunk for the next two days actually because uh, it was the end of our season, super rugby season. So I go to my hotel, I got all these text messages saying, are you okay, don't worry about it, head up. I go, well, only, like that bad, like yeah, it was a drop goal, but like there were so many other things to it. Anyway, I grabbed the paper in and um, I pull it in and I look at the paper and I turn around and the, the back page said dumb and dunning. Oh. So that's what I were texting about. Stitch so up, bit of a stitch up. And the next uh, back page was dumb and dunning part two, but that was a different story. So that was a, <laughs> that was a bad Monday expedite. Uh, um, <laughs> no, no. So that was sort of the drop goal down to the T. But that look. Mate, within two weeks, I was in, well, less than a week, I was in a Wallaby camp for the first time with all those guys that we spoke about earlier. Yeah, yeah. You know, I remember just turning up at Wallaby camp and and Wendell and and um, and the boys making jokes about the drop goal and the incident that happened a few days after. And you know, I was just you know it was it was a World Cup year, so uh, it came up more sort of um, it's come up more sort of more frequency sort of. Uh, in the last 10 years and probably I remember in the first 10 years of it happening. Probably because, you know, YouTube comes out, social media comes out. That's probably a two. Shared I, around. I think about that. Probably when it first happened, there wasn't the YouTube and that, but since it's... Um, That's yeah, the mate, it's, uh, Now, you, 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 apparently, my kids tell me if you Google me, you, you, apparently I... The drop goal and two intercepts is the only thing you see. <laughs> yeah, I was, that's the other thing. So yeah. for 20 years career, all that comes up is the drop <laughs> goal and two intercepts. That's it. Um, as we talk more about... Your Wallaby career. I want to hear what's the loosest story from off the field with either you personally or some of the boys that you were with off camp. In the loosest story that like that's just so many. What do you, <laughs> when you mean loose, like the definition of loose is is very loose. So, yeah, um, it's dangerous too. As there's there's, there's, there's as yeah. loose as you can tell us without getting uh, into any trouble. Yeah, like, like we so. said back in two thousand three in the nineties, you couldn't get cancelled, but yeah, today is very different. Can. So like some of the stories now you're retelling. People will be cancelled over them. Yeah. There's comedians being cancelled for things they said in the eighties. Yeah, it's crazy. actually uh, 
We've got a couple of young blokes. One of them, he plays first grade at Eastwood, Matt Minogue, and his brother Pat Minogue. They work with us, and um, and we've shown them a few clips of different things, like Eddie Murphy, Delirious, and other things, and <laughs> they can't believe that was even allowed in the air. So <laughs> you've got to be careful. Um, Jeez, what's some stories that you can tell? I, I think the midweek drinking was probably something that you wouldn't associate there now. Like, I know I've heard, I've heard Willie Mason tell the story how we're – Kangaroos are in Europe, and we're in Europe. Uh, we're both in Paris, and we're you know we're 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 playing tests that weekend, um, and it's a Thursday night. So it's a Wednesday night. Wednesday night, to be fair, because we had Thursday off. So Wednesday night, and we're all out till five in the morning, and we've all had like a twelve-hour drinking session, you know, the night of uh, you know the Wednesday night before a Saturday test, and that wasn't you know abnormal. it wasn't abnormal, yeah. you know, <laughs> like um, yeah, there's some. Um, I'll come back to oh, if I can remember the best story to tell. I'll come back to it. I want to give you a big story, a good story that I can tell. So I'll come back to that. Um, I've got a story for you. I'm not sure <laughs> if you're going to remember this one. This is from come straight from my old man. The 2007 Wales versus Australia game yeah. in Sydney. Yeah. You guys won 29 to um, 23. You've skipped the celebrations with the team. You've come straight to the fence where my dad is and his mate Cage. You know very yeah, well. Very well. And you've just won a test for, I don't know if it was a, I, can't, I couldn't tell you if it was a, like a trial game, whatever it was. But you've test, gone, all test matches are test matches. That's the great thing. Yeah. No trial game. That's a good thing. A test's a test. So you're, st- you're still full kitted up and you're sweating. You walk straight over to dad and you've gone, so who's won the, um, who's gone the best at Asquith today? That's, that's what you said. That's what's happened. I'm True not sure story. if you remember that. So I, ju- <laughs> I just come back into the Wallaby side. I didn't get picked in 2006. I got back into the side in 2007. Um, uh, 2007 Just back into the side um, And we, it looks like we're going to lose this test match against Wales Like I played the first seven He came off with ten to go It looks like we're going to lose this test I remember, I remember And I'm not even religious I remember praying to God that we won <laughs> And I think I might even promise never to drink again If uh, if, if we won that game And I had a big night that night So I lied you know, I don't even, I'm not religious at all I just couldn't You know it's like You only pray You, you know Everyone's an atheist until they're about to die, you know, so <laughs> just in case. Um, so, like, we're going to lose here. We score after the bell. Stephen Hoyle does something, passes, and we win. It's pandemonium one. Like, it was a bit – so pandemonium's the wrong word. It was just relief. If we lose that test, it was going to be terrible going into the 2007 World Cup. And, you know, I just got back in and, like, it dropped and whatever. Yeah, and then um, I, I love my golf. I still love my golf, but I was really passionate about my golf then. And I was, I'd only sort of just got into it over the last sort of the two or three years before that. And I ran over to the boys in the crowd and asked them who won the cock of the walk match and I uh, wanted all the details <laughs> and they thought it was a bit weird. But, um, you know, it's, um, it wasn't unusual for me to, uh, to ring up the boys on a, on a test at, at 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock. Oh, so 7 o'clock, but about 5.30 or 6 o'clock, I'd often ring the boys and ask them the <laughs> golf results before they had it online. So I'd ask who won and they say, are you playing a test in an hour and a half? I said, yeah, but I, I just wanted to know who won. <laughs> I remember I'd, 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 ask, I'd get them to talk through the whole round they played and the holes and ask questions. and oh, It was a good distraction, really. Yeah, my old man still brings that story up to this day. And then um, as we move on again, I just want to tell me to bring this up as well. There's a very, in particular, very loose, mad Monday at Eastwood. Um, do you, I'm not sure if you remember that, but what happened there that Dad's told me to ask you about that one? I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Which one? Which one, yes. <laughs> um, there was a, a mad Monday where some guys did some silly things and drove cars down the hill and rolled all those <laughs> things down. Um, the, cra- the, cra- 
there's been some crazy mad Mondays I've been involved with. Um, the good one was um, was 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 uh, what was a good one mad Monday. Um, yeah, there's been some good ones. I'll come back to that. That's all right. Okay. And um, so I guess as we move a little bit away from the career, as again we'll probably touch on it towards the end, but just um, if you don't mind talking about it, the uh, the weight loss, the yeah. big transformation. You know, um, like you said, you were pushing how much during the career? So I played, the program said I was 115 kilos. Yeah. Um, but really I was generally between, at my lightest about, oh, there's a couple of games I might have played 117, but generally between 117 and 123 for most of my career. So, yeah, I was big. Uh, after retirement, I got into business development, so I was literally just drinking, eating and coffees and, you know, meetings. And I, I, I blew out to... About 132 kilos um, with no weights training. So yeah. I'd probably lost about five or six kilos at least of muscle mass too. So, I, you know, I would have looked 140 compared, you know. Mm. Anyway, I'm. that's when I finally got to play a little bit of my rugby league once I retired. And, and I, anyway, I played a game for the Brown Wallabies. That I'd had about I had a massive night the night before. <laughs> I got down to their ladies' day or whatever they had down there. And we had a – my kids were played for the – the juniors and all that, and um, had a massive crowd, massive fundraiser day, and um, anyway, they were going to have to forfeit because they didn't have a team. Um, I already had about six cans. I said, you can't forfeit all the people here to watch and blah, blah. They said, well, we're going to have to. We have to have a, you know, a certain number to start the game. And and they said, I said, well, I said, well the 19s will be here by half-time. The under-19 side were going to come by half-time. They were playing away. Yep. So we have players at half-time. I said, so right, so I've rustled up about four or five extra guys on the hill and we've played so I've had I'm, I'm, I'm probably eight eight beers deep <laughs> big night out and I'm playing rugby league um, I have one of the greatest photos of a cork thigh that's so bruised uh, there's a reason why you shouldn't drink and uh, it's not very good for, for, for blood flow when you get a cork anyway so we do that anyway that's I'm, I'm, I'm cutting to the story anyway so that happens anyway they did this big thing about how it's great that Matt Dunning finally played for the Brow Wallabies. It was a great day and blah, blah, blah. I can't remember if we won or not. Anyway, um, they put a photo up and this big photo came out and I was like, literally this photo has me wearing a, a quadruple extra large jack, uh, jersey and it looks like a tattoo. It's just it's a <laughs> horrendous photo. So I saw that photo and someone had contacted me about losing weight with one of those Netmark working yeah, programs yeah. and stuff like that. And I said, whatever. Anyway, I rang on the next day and said, sign me up, let's get started. And I... I, I did a thing called Isogenics or something at the time. I haven't done it for a long while since, but a thing called Isogenics at the time, and I lost, you know, I lost, shivers. I must have lost 42 kilos in about eight months. Wow. So I went from uh, 132 to about 86, don't quote me, or something like that. Um, yeah, I lost a, a massive amount of weight. Um, a lot of lifestyle changes at the back end of that too. Um, the whole premise about losing weight was I didn't want to have to uh, train and I didn't want to have to give up alcohol. Um, and then, you know, t- 10 or 15 kilos in, I'm training, and then, you know, 35 kilos in, I remember having a spell from the drink, and uh, and uh, I lost more and more weight. Um, and that's how I got started. Um, you know, it, the reality of isogenics, it's a man shake, whatever you want to do, they're all the same in many yeah. respects. It's, it's calorie controlled. So I lost a lot of weight by starving myself. Mm. And then the next sort of period through that was finding what the balance was for me, and I've... I've tried so many different things. My weight's changed. I've done juice fast. I've done everything. Um, I've settled with sort of more of a keto uh, lifestyle. Yeah. 
lifestyle, which is good for me these days. The first thing I've done where you can don't have to worry about quantity, you can just manage what you eat. Um, I'd love to have the discipline to go to a to go to a sort of a, a carnivorous diet, um, but I haven't got there yet. But that, that's 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 the next frontier. But um, tried I've tried them all. But um, no, no, I that got me started, and now it's just um, yeah, it's a it's a, it's, a, it's just a lifestyle thing now. It's mate, once you, yeah, look, the thing is, the reality is, if you're 132 kilos unfit, unhealthy at 33, um, that's two years of retirement. What are you going to look like at 52? Probably not going to be alive on that on that trajectory. So that's what happened. Fair enough. And um, what do you get up to these days? What are your hobbies? Most of your hobbies that you get up to. So obviously you're working now and stuff like that. But what do you what do you like to get up to? Mate, I still love my golf. Um, I've uh, during COVID, like everyone, I played a fair bit of golf and got my handicap as low as it's ever been. And and since COVID, work's picked up. Like work's very busy. You know, you, you got to. You know, you just can't play the golf I used to play. Um, so it's struggling a bit with golf at the moment. But I still love it. But I've got a young family. You know, I've got old kids. I've got, got the old boys who are similar age to you, Nick, yep. uh, 23 and 2020. And the little boys now who are five and four. So between them and work, there's not much time. So I want to get back into my golf. But since I had an ankle fusion just over 12 months ago, so it, it sort of ruled me out of golf for a bit. And pre the ankle fusion, I, I wasn't – I couldn't get around 18 holes anymore in a golf cart. That's how bad yeah, my ankle well. was. Yeah. It was just chronic arthritis. So um, that was sort of what – there's a, a lot of reasons. There's a lot of things that are out there why I stopped, why I retired. You know, my shoulder, my neck, and all this stuff. The reality was my ankle. Yeah. It, was, it was always horrendous. You know, I injured it by playing basketball when I was 12. Um, but now it's work. I work at a company called Resolve XO. We're corporate real, real estate advisors. It's a great job, great company. Love it. Bit of a niche what we do. Um, just love it, mate. And it's all about you know, a lot of travel, seeing different businesses, trying to help them with their property strategies and stuff and that's awesome just working with different people each day and seeing different businesses you see some incredible businesses of success and struggling and um, it's always new and exciting so that and yeah I'd love to get my handicap back down to five like I got at one stage but um, the reality was golf my golf swing's horrendous it always has been it's just <laughs> I play good golf when I play three times a week and practice three times a week yeah if I don't I play terrible golf what know. are you playing off now 10 or 11, 10 point something now. It's like 10.2. It's embarrassing, but... That's still all right. Yeah, no, mate, it's not. It's, yeah, but it's just... It's, golf's one of those games where it's just... You have to live and breathe it. Um, uh, especially someone like me who didn't play as a kid. So my swing's not very good, so I have to be playing so much golf to play anywhere near my best. And yep. um, uh, these days, I'm a long way from that. But the ankle fusion, I mean, I, I walked 36 holes and I, uh, a couple of months ago, which is unheard of for me. So the ankle's actually awesome for my lifestyle and everything. Fantastic. I'm never about to run again, but I couldn't run pre-surgery anyway with my ankle. But um, there's no excuses. I just I'm just not playing well. I don't know. I just maybe I'm, <laughs> maybe I've just uh, lost it. Whatever little I, little bit I had. Um, what else? It's mate, I haven't got any time. I don't know how I had time before to do all the stuff I did. I think <laughs> golf, work, young kids, old kids, um, living costs in Sydney of like I've never seen them so high. Like what's happened the last <laughs> twelve months? But I haven't. Yeah, uh, yeah we're fucked. Yeah. We are fucked when we we're go to buy a house. house. Well, the, the only thing good positive coming out of these interest rates is there's going to be a lot of foreclosures, I reckon, soon. So, you know, you might housing prices surely will have to drop a bit to make it yeah. easier for you guys to get into the market. But that's it, mate. Um, <coughs> I've still, still got to come back with a loose story. Um, it's a pretty good loose stories. Um, oh, I remember uh, a couple of stories. 
I remember Des Tuivai was on the bench one night. We're playing in front of a packed SCG. SFS, not even SCG. Allianz was called now. Anyway, he's on the bench. Um, he goes over to the sideline. He's warming up. He chats to someone, um, gets a number, puts it in his pocket, <laughs> plays the last 20 minutes of the game. Uh, anyway, next, you know, we're, we're at Cargo Bar at 3 at the morning. She turns up and he... I think he ended up dating you for like two or three years after that. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Um, you know, there's been a lot of loose stories that aren't sort of fit for camera. Um, you know, I uh, bring Des Tuivai back in that Mad Monday, that Dumb and Dunning part two. We're at the scuba. We've been drinking for three days. Uh, Desi wanted me to go out with him to the cross at 3am. I said, no, I'm not going out. I had a cut hand. I was hung over anyway. You wouldn't believe this, but Desi's head-butted my fist. And his nose has gone everywhere, and I've got you know, just Matt Burke was there. It was a it was horrendous anyway. So that was pretty loose night, but um, oh mate, it's it's the world's changed. You know, it's uh, I, I just can't believe the what the way the world's changed, and uh, you know some of those stories we say today. You said you know, you, people get cancelled in yeah. perspective now, so it's like you've got to be careful. Yeah, hundred percent. And we'll probably be the last one here that we have before we can let you go. Um, obviously, you said you got. Four boys, is it? Four boys, yeah. Four boys, two that I met maybe when I was very young. But um, how have you gone about, obviously, playing rugby and stuff with them? Are you trying to push for them to try and play top level? Or what what kind of, as a father coming out of being an athlete, a professional athlete, how do you go about it with your kids trying to, obviously, if they want to pursue that career, how do you want to push them? But obviously not push them too hard kind of thing. How have you gone about that? I, uh, with, with all of them, like obviously the older boys, um, uh, the, sec- the second oldest boy, he was he had my physique, so he mm-hmm. he had a, a bit of a head start to be a front rower. Um, you know, I'll do whatever I can for them to to make the next level, but at the end of the day, it's got to be self. It's like a lot of things yeah. in life. You, you've got to be self-motivated. Yeah. doesn't matter how hard someone pushes you what you do. Like, yeah, Tiger's dad and the stories, all these, you know, this, the, the William sisters' dad. There's those stories, but the reality is, kids, those those kids had self belief like you would not believe. Self motivation, it's got to come with her in. It doesn't matter. Like, it, it, you know, the reality is that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I say or do. It's up to them if they want to do it. Not there to support them to help them. I think sometimes it's almost better. Stepping away and just being dad rather than being the, the sporting person. For so them. we'll never see you on the sideline as the coach. For well, I, I coached the Brow Wallabies under under 13s or 14s. I remember one year, and um, I love that. It was, I, I love coaching to get individual skills and help them coaching. I'll, I'll definitely coach. Okay, but to push them to be professional if they want it and they really want it and they'll they'll give everything to it. I hope them get there. But the reality is that you know the reality is in unless you're a certain sport um, there's not many sports and it's not about that but you know yes sporting people get a lot of money and I think that's that's sort of telegraph but it's, it, reality is it isn't that much compared to average earnings it's massive but you've only got a limited lifespan right yeah but what doesn't get reported is you know I have plenty of friends of mine who are in business who made a lot more money than me at the same age doing something else yeah. yeah, that doesn't get reported. That doesn't get done. Like it's like, oh well, that's different, you know. So like, there's plenty of people who could have made it in rugby, but they chose not to. Not just because, you know, they didn't want to do it or they didn't want, to, you know, they didn't want. But they just thought they just thought they could do better doing else, and they, you know, they 
weren't committed. That's what they thought they could do better in other avenues. So the reality is, if you want to do professional sport, you've got to want it because you want to be the best you can be at that sport and be successful. And the money's got to be 100% secondary. Yeah. Because the reality is, you know, it's yeah. not, unless you're going to drive F1 cars or play in the NBA and have generational wealth and, you know, and not have to work after you're playing. But the reality is, even, you know, 90% of all, probably higher, professional athletes who play a team sport in Australia um, have to work after they're, they're finished playing. It's not like they set yeah. themselves up for life. And not everyone goes straight into the media. No. Yeah. Not for everyone. So I, I get a bit annoyed sometimes because, oh, they're getting all that money to play football. They they should be role models. They should be doing this. They should be doing that. They should be doing this. But they can only earn it for 10 years. Hmm. They're paying half their money in tax. Um, you know, it's... Um, the beauty I had is it all is all I wanted to do. So I just I put everything into rugby. I had no plan B. They always tell you to have a plan B. Uh, I didn't have a plan B, so I, I had no nothing else to fall back on. Uh, yes, I yeah I did some study. I did some stuff, but you know I um that's what I wanted, so I did it. But um look, I'll, I'll be there. My boys, young boys now, five and four, they love, love rugby league and love rugby. I'll help them. I'll do whatever I can. But in the stage, whatever makes them happy. And you know, there's a lot of things in rugby like you. I, I wouldn't change a thing. Like I wouldn't change a thing, but, you know, I've got a snapped Achilles, I've got a fused ankle, I've got a ruptured bicep, my left shoulder doesn't work real well, like, you know, I've got neck problems, you know. Uh, who knows with all this CTE stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's a lot of sacrifice you make. Wouldn't change a thing, but if I've got a son who wants, that's all they want to do, I'll support him, but... Yeah, I'm not going to push them into something that I want to do because it's definitely not worth it unless that's all you want to do. Fair enough. Hundred percent. Fair enough. Well, Maddie, thank you for coming on today. Really appreciate really it. Really appreciate it. Hopefully, our, if this video all works, it's our first live interview. Our oh, first live, first filmed interview. So yes. I'm your best looking ever person. On yeah. This. There you go. Best looking guest ever, apart best from us. Best but. smartest <laughs> and best looking guest ever. Oh well. There you go. That might that might last only one week. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Good luck. Um, Hey, great setup here at the Bella Vista Hotel, mate. You're very lucky. Yeah, it's awesome definitely. doing it. Um, mate, um, maybe down the track, if you need me to come back, I'll come back on. Beauty. Oh, good. Thank you very In much. In a heartbeat. Thank you very much. Guys, guys.